This is Tiger Hall. Breakthroughs in technology, evolving expectations, and industry shifts are reshaping customer experience and interactions in the dynamic world of modern banking. From digital platforms to personalized AI insights, the focus on security and trust is driving new innovation. This podcast is a partnership between Converge, a new podcast by Convera, and Tiger Hall to explore different aspects of how the changing customer experience and the ever-increasing expectations of customers is at the forefront revolutionizing banking and financial services. Today, I've got my friend Till Obohama, the head of sales and business development for Central Europe at Convera, joining us. Till is a really interesting guy, a man of many talents. He lives in Vienna, Austria, and he has a great background to share today, but he has a particular expertise in helping B2B companies learn from the innovation in the B2C space, where I would safely say the train has left the station in terms of digitizing the customer experience and moving things into the next stage of what the modern banking experience is going to look like. So Till will share some advice today on how we can leverage these innovations and learnings from the B2C space and apply them to the B2B business-to-business market. So Till, great to have you. Could you introduce yourself a little bit and get us started? Sure thing, Alex. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm based in Vienna. I'm with the company now for over 10 years. I mainly focused on digitalization, on startups, scale-ups, everything linked to cryptocurrency and improvements in the industry. All of these things helped me a lot to also help our customers in the B2B side and whenever it came to international payments and managing their forex exchange risk. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation now. Yeah, me too. So let's talk about how mobile banking and apps are obviously changing expectations when it comes to the customer experience. Given that... How can traditional banks compete with these changes, in your view? Well, I think the main thing they have to understand is that behind every company, there is a person. And this person wants to interact and address. And nowadays, with all these competitors from the fintech side and neobanks coming into the markets, it's more than ever that traditional banking clients on the P2P side start to question their banks on why nobody spent any time on improving their user interfaces. Why is it so complicated to use these apps? Or maybe there is no app at all. So I guess that's the thing which they have to focus on. But they also have to find the right balance when it comes to regulation and what kind of risk are they willing to take? Because all these neobanks and fintechs, for them, it was grow or die. So they were willing to take more risks. And for sure, as a traditional bank, you have a different view on that because there is more to lose than to gain in this particular field. Yeah. So can the digital experience be considered in isolation or do these traditionally physical banks have to consider the experience across all channels that a customer might use? Physical branches, kiosks, and of course, the websites, apps that customers are using more and more. How is the digital experience really being viewed? Is it permeating the physical experience? How are the banks thinking about this and how should they think about it holistically? What I've observed over the last years is that a lot of the banks consider that different streams, which are often taken care of by different departments and are operating in silos, which causes a lot of issues. Because if you are the customer of one brand, you would expect that wherever you go, you will experience the same services and you will be able to get the same products. And that has not been the case in the past. And that's where the fintechs and the neobanks have shown us 
that it could be very, very different by having one approach. They always had the advantage for sure that they came from digital. So they didn't have the issue that they might have offline clients. But whenever banks started to try to copy that, they ran into the issue that their clients would expect the same service. So you should see it holistically. There is no digital only world that really drives growth and revenue. It drives a lot of growth. I mean, because if you make it easy to become a client and you make it cheap, you can grow a significant client base. But there you see the struggle in the industry. How do you make a client then a paying client? That's, I guess, one of the big challenges there. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, isn't a good digital experience simply about breaking down silos and delivering content and services from multiple channels through a seamless experience? Talk about where to reach your audience and how to reach them in B2B. Should they consider things like social media more, educational content, etc.? Talk about what's the landscape. Yes, exactly. Actually, that's one of the things which still surprises me, how little, especially in the financial industry, social media is considered as a place to find B2B clients. There's a lot of content for C2C and private individuals, but there's almost nothing or very little for companies. It looks like that they always forget that behind every company, there are people working for this company and they are sitting at home or at work and spend some time on social media and they might look for things, they might look for information. And that's actually the best place where you can address them and reach them. Also with educational content, not only with I'm here by now, but also or especially with, okay, we know that in your industry, you have these issues and that's the way you can sort it. And you just have to address it in the proper format and always consider that people grow older and therefore 15 year old who is using TikTok now in five years time is 20 and uh, might be in an accounting department expecting a certain level of <laughs> user interface and the way to control things. So we are in a fast paced time now and we have to be ready. So in some markets, for example, Brazil, we've seen super apps and also in Europe, Revolut. These type of companies seem to be trying to build something similar to the Brazilian super app, which is really a one-stop shop for banks, really, to offer their customers this one place to meet all of their banking needs and even e-commerce. You know, What's the better strategy here? Should banks be trying to build focused apps or become this one-stop shop for customers? Well, I guess the near future will tell us what the proper way is. My personal thought is that banks have to become more agile in these things. But I also think due to regulations, there is no realistic way to do such things without having a bank involved in one way or the other. Because if you break it down to the application only, so if you just say from a technical perspective, I mean, then look to China. So with WeChat and Alibaba, they fostered a super app where you actually have never to leave the app. So you can buy things there, you can pay, you can receive money, you can find a new apartment on this app. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But there you don't have any data issues. So there is no data protection at all. You can exchange the data as much and as often as you want. When you look into Europe or also in the US, there are restrictions. And I think rightfully they are because you don't want to have your data everywhere spread on the internet. But that also limits such apps because in an ideal environment, coming from the e-commerce side, for example, whenever we would create a funnel and a shopping experience, we don't want the user to leave the website. 
they should stay on it. And usually the biggest friction is then the payment. So whenever you are able to implement the payment in your website that the client doesn't have to go anywhere else and ideally even uses the same data, then it's perfect because it increases your conversion rate. And the same goes for anything else with the bank. If they create an app where people or the clients stay on the app because there's something that they can consume, that's also potential for upsell and also to build up the relationship and keep them loyal. Yeah. So how can banks strike that balance between those self-service options that are offered through the fully digital service and then the personalized support that a lot of people still rely on, especially when it comes to managing your finances? Tell us some maybe personal experiences you've had with fintechs and what have you learned from those? And what would you offer advice for B2B and legacy institutions looking to up-level those self-service options for their customers while also making sure there's an amount of personalized support available? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing is that you should, as a financial institution, you should avoid FOMO, like the fear of missing out and therefore really just embarking on journeys which go nowhere by overboarding with digitalization, with everything has to be automated. There shouldn't be any person talking to anyone because everything can be done by a chatbot or by AI. Then you guide the user through the whole experience and the onboarding. I had a similar experience myself with Uber, for example, when I had a complaint there, they would guide you through their complaint service and then they would check your complaint. But if it doesn't fit what you have chosen or what the options were, they would say, well, it's sorted. But it isn't. And they don't give you an option to contact any person there. So it's very, very annoying. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see it all over the place. If you go into the internet and to some forums, you can easily identify the companies who obviously didn't think it through when they created automated customer journeys. So you should always have the option to talk to a person at the end, just to avoid that. Hey, sorry to so rudely interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that this is a Tiger Hall podcast. Tiger Hall is the world's leading social learning platform, and we have hundreds of interviews just like this with amazing senior business leaders from around the world. These can all be accessed via the Tiger Hall app, which is free to download. You get free content every month and new stuff is uploaded every workday. I hope to see you there. So we know that these fintechs, they rely on having low overhead and a very scalable business model. How can the agile fintechs of the world accomplish that right balance between necessary friction and making sure that the customer for at least simple inquiries can self-service, how do they accomplish that balance while keeping their overhead on the lower side so that they don't have to spend too much in order to maintain a customer experience that's acceptable in the financial realm? That's really one of the biggest challenges they have because not only they want to keep the headcount low, they never had a proper customer service team. So that's probably one of the few advantages a traditional bank has that they actually have people who are trained and educated in this particular field, which they can use and kind of interlink that and make sure that a lot of the questions and the issues are covered and are fully automated. But then the other, let's say 20%, there you can really spend the time on and build the relationship with the client because that's where you build the most trust. If something doesn't work the way the client expects it, but you help them. And they know also for the future, if there's any issue, there's someone there who will help me with that. And especially when it comes to finance, that's probably the most important thing, this trust and this relationship there. Yeah. So I guess there will be always, in my opinion, 
faster when it comes to identifying and moving into a new field or in a new niche where AI, for example, is taking on a lot of the work. Yeah, absolutely. So let's drill into the AI subject because that's what you do these days. <laughs> so the initial hype around, you know, chat GPT and AI and a lot of these emerging platforms might be coming down a little bit, but you know, it's, it's there every day. And, and can these new technologies really help to enhance the customer experience in FinServe and FinTech? And how do you see it happening in stages or, you know, all of a sudden overhauling something? What do you see the outlook for AI within FinServe looking like? Yeah, it's definitely hype. It still is. Uh, it was always interesting to see when you look in social media, LinkedIn and so on, how many experts of AI suddenly appeared everywhere. So that's always is something that amuses me a little bit. But the fact is that AI can help to reduce workload. It can, to some extent, really replace headcount, simple work like looking for data, sorting data, doing some calculations. But it also comes to its limits and it's always only as good as its user. So um, someone who has no clue about the topic cannot rely on AI because AI will potentially come back with mistakes, which someone who knows the topic will easily spot and be able to correct them. But someone who doesn't know anything about it might miss that. So what I expect will happen is that in certain industries and in certain sectors, the bar will go up a little bit higher. So the worst case scenario as a customer will be less worse because AI will just move that bar up. But when it comes to the stellar companies, who, which are really doing great jobs, AI alone will not fix that or will not ensure that they stay up there. They will still need people. They will still have to take care that they have enough talent and that the customers are always able to speak to someone in person. Yeah, so agreed. AI has a long way to go in FinServe. And I think a good example would be electronic ID and digital identity. You know, there's no approved biometric ID available yet. But can you talk about how maybe what are the implementation challenges that financial institutions need to consider when integrating identity services for consumer and corporate customers? And how can the APIs that are being introduced provide a more secure authentication process? And what's the role of these biometrics and decentralized identity features that are emerging? What are you seeing? Well, I have to break it down in, in two things. So the one thing is like on the blockchain, electronic identification, which is still a hot topic. And the other thing is like simply going through video ident screening or through biometric identification where you just take a picture and the AI is checking it again, the picture of your ID and then the AI is checking it, approving mm -hmm. or disapproving, which is by far the fastest way to identify someone. But unfortunately, regulator is not a big fan of that because nowadays you see deep fake videos, you have pictures which are altered. That all causes issues and headaches. So most of the financial regulators are very restrictive when it comes to allowing such technology. So, for example, in Germany or Austria, there is no approved biometric provider at the moment. None of them are fulfilling all the requirements or just to a certain extent. So that's actually the, the biggest issue which you will face if you're going into that field and want to scale because you still have to identify the people and that is not that fast or as fast. And if I now go to the blockchain, that makes it even harder because it's still perceived as something which is not really clear on the use case. And it's still like mixed up blockchain technology with digital assets, which is a different thing. It's just one outlayer of what you can do with that. So banks, again, 
are very careful on what they want to implement and the regulator even more. Uh, so I don't see that happen anytime soon on the identification process where could imagine that it will happen is for things like notaries or when you get a deed into for your house or whatever. So there, I think these kind of things might be applicable, but they are then also driven again outside of the financial regulations. Yeah. And just the last thought here in terms of regulations, you're a European citizen and consumer working for a European part of our business. What are the major changes in regulations that you see that are currently happening? And obviously, how do you think they will positively affect the innovation in this space? Do you think that there have been big steps made this year with the likes of Mika and such? Or is there still really a long way to go in terms of opening up the floodgates of innovation, particularly as it pertains to blockchain, but also AI and other aspects of this technology sphere? I mean, per se, I think it's a good thing to have regulation in place. And it's also good that the European Union took this heads on now, especially also in crypto space. But out of my conversations that I had, also like Money 2020 in Amsterdam with different banks, they are still keeping the handbrake on because they're still unsure. There are so many things which are not really 100% clear. It's also an issue for certain crypto providers, crypto exchanges, which suddenly will have to fulfill certain requirements and do certain reports and so on and so forth, which is not so easy to implement. I wouldn't see it as something that would drive innovation. I think it definitely helps to build midterm, long-term business cases because you at least have security, you know that what you're doing is legal and it will continue to be legal over the next years because that was like a constant risk which uh, everyone was looking at. Will the technology be banned? Will the asset be banned? Will this type of technology be banned? So these kind of things are more or less off the table. But on the other hand, if you are looking into bringing something new, if you overthink it, like many things in life, it's not going to happen. And if you really have to consider all these regulations there, it's very, very hard to start something innovative. So very often what you see is crossovers. So it's actually developed in a different field. And then they look at it and say, oh, actually, we could apply that in fintech as well. Then they start to apply uh, certain things. And th don't forget also, Europe is an interesting big market, but so are other markets with less regulation. So a lot of the testing is happening somewhere else and a lot of the innovation is therefore happening somewhere else. Yeah, indeed. Awesome. Well, Till, thanks for joining us today. Can you just share your final takeaways for businesses to consider when improving the B2B customer journey? Sure. So I guess one of the main things is like you want to stay ahead of the curve for the customer experience because that's what matters and ensures that you are winning new clients to make that easy. And therefore, you have to ensure that your whole onboarding procedure and how you win the client is frictionless, it's convenient, and it's intuitive because that's what customers expect nowadays. And you have to meet that as an absolute minimum requirement. And if you also then make sure that they don't have to do much meaning that you are connected to the right databases, you are able to maybe even pre-fill some of the information or take some of the information they give you and enrich that to make it easier for them, even better. To get inside the head of your clients, that I think is also a very important thing. If you're not able to do that, you probably will not be able to even get them on your platform. You have to meet them where they are. So you have to understand what social platforms and what forums 
to your target client, your target customer use. So you really have to sit down first and understand who am I actually after and then where to find them and what are their interests and how to meet that, be it with some educational content, be it with advertising. But that's actually, I think, the absolute start, which then brings me also to how to reduce the friction across the digital banking journey. I mean, to some extent, I already answered that by helping them to have a smooth and easy experience, but always find the right balance to give them access to a person in case they need guidance there. And also make sure when you set up such a journey that you have proper feedback in place to ensure if there are certain questions which always lead to the client asking for a person to talk to, then you might want to adjust the way the whole guidance is working. And then what implementation challenges do I see for FIs and how do you like address them? So here, I think the most important thing is, which should be the most obvious, but is ignored very often, make sure whatever you implement, that it's compliant with the regulatory requirements in the respective markets, which you want to enter or to expand to. Everything that can be automated for sure is reducing costs. So that's always something FIs are looking into, but also fintechs recently the approach of the investors has changed. You, It's not about growing at any cost. It's now about, okay, well, let's uh, get profitable. Uh, and therefore, for sure, I can see the temptation to save costs by automating things and using AI. But at the end of the day, don't forget that AI is only as good as the person using it and as compliant as the person is using it. So again, check with the regulator if it's okay, because otherwise it will actually cost you at the end more than it saved you in the beginning. It's a great final piece of advice. AI is only as good as the person using it. Well, thank you, Till. That was insightful, and I really appreciate you sitting down today. We'll chat more soon, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much again for having me. You've been listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. Quick favor. If you like this content, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new upload from us. And of course, if you're hungry for more, and why wouldn't you be, don't forget to download the Tiger Hall app for hundreds more just like this.